I will read today in Numbers 7, verses 1 through 11. That's Numbers 7, verses 1 through 11. On the day when Moses had finished setting up the tabernacle and had anointed and consecrated it with all its furnishings and had anointed and consecrated the altar with all its utensils, the, the chiefs of Israel, heads of their fathers' houses, who were the chiefs of the tribes, who were over those who were listed, approached and brought their offerings before the Lord, six wagons and twelve oxen, a wagon for every two of the chiefs, and for each one an ox. They brought them before the tabernacle. Then the Lord said to Moses, Accept these from, from them, that they may be used in the service of the tent of the meeting, and give them to the Levites, to each man according to his service. So Moses took the wagons and the oxen and gave them to the Levites. Two wagons and four oxen he gave to the son of Gershon according to their service. And four wagons and eight oxen he gave to the sons of Merari according to their service on the direction of Ithamar, the son of Aaron, the priest. But to the, son, to the sons of Kohath he gave none because they were charged with the service of the holy things that had to be carried on the shoulder. And the chiefs offered offerings for the dedication of the temple on that day. It was anointed, and the chiefs offered their offering before the altar. And the Lord said to Moses, They shall offer their offerings one chief each day for the declaration of the altar. Take it with me and turn to Numbers chapter 7. Numbers chapter 7 as we continue our study in this book, this fourth volume of the Pentateuch. I want us to jump right in this morning. It's a book about the between times, God's deliverance from slavery and bondage prior to entering into the promised land. You and I can relate to even that. And so as we are in this wilderness, just like the people of God were, between the time of our redemption and the accomplishment of our redemption, the full appearing of the kingdom of God. We started this book with God numbering the people, placing them in camp in order, because if the people are to enter into the promised land, there will be war. So I want to continue to put that before you. God is showing us in this book, He's getting them ready for the overcoming that He will give them as they come in to the land of promise. And so while He has already declared, this is yours, I'm giving it to you, God is going to use them to fight those who are enemies of God. And so He's preparing them. Uh, last week we mentioned on this wilderness and this in-between time that uh, these couple of statements, and I want to continue that thought this morning, where there is redemption there is presence. In chapter 5, verse 3, the camp in which, in the midst of which I dwell, God says. And so God's presence in the camp has all implications for the people. God's presence in our midst has every implication for us by His Spirit 
who indwells us. So where there is presence then, there must be holiness. So we asked last week, are you killing sin in you? And are you allowing the Holy Spirit to bring Christ to life in you? And so then we ended last week with where there is presence, where there is holiness, there is blessing. Aaron was told to bless the people. Today I want to pick up and cover chapters 7 through 9 and say where there is blessing, there is celebration. So where there is holiness, there is bl- or where there is presence, there is bless- holiness. Where there is holiness, there is blessing. And where there is blessing today, there is celebration. We turn to a brand new section in the book of Numbers this morning as given to us by these first couple of verses. As you see, walking through this text, I want to just walk you through these uh, these chapters. You've already heard a couple of the verses read. I want to then end with a couple of application points as we talk about those of us who are in the New Testament church that are on our way to the land of promise But in this midst, in this between times, we too find ourselves in somewhat of a a wilderness here, not left alone by God, given His presence, but longing for the land of promise. So where there's blessing, there is celebration. I told you when we began the book of Numbers that this book is not a chronological book. As a matter of fact, when you go back to chapter 1, verse 1, you are at a different day and a a later day than you are in chapter 7. Verse 1, Numbers 1-1 was the first day of the second month of the second year. If you think about your calendar, it would be February 1st of uh, 2015. Well, chapter 7, verse 1 backs up to the first month of that year. And so you read with me in chapter 7, verse 1, on the day when Moses had finished setting up the tabernacle and had anointed it and consecrated it with all its furnishings and had anointed the consecrated the altar with all its utensils, the chiefs approached the temple. What we find from Exodus chapter 40 is when Moses finished that, it was actually the first day of the first month of the second year. It was their new year, one year from being delivered from Exodus or from Egypt. And they had come to Sinai in three months. Now we're a year out of God delivering them from the people of Egypt in the wilderness. One year. What a momentous day for them. This New Year's Day that they celebrate beginning here in Numbers chapter 7. And we're brought back to it by the author Moses. He had already told us about it in Exodus 40. Now we're back to it here in these three chapters to walk through this first month of the second year together. This first month of the second year. As we consider it, just want to ask you to consider with me, why would Moses put this here in his five-volume work? He's already mentioned the day. He's already mentioned the consecration of the temple. So why here? I think it's going to become very evident to us if you were to, or we would have read together verses 12 through 83, you would have seen the bulk of this chapter is each of the heads of the tribes of Israel are coming to present offerings. As a matter of fact, if you look at the end of verse 2, what happens is on this first day of the first month of the second year, when the tabernacle is finished, when all of the altar and the utensils are consecrated by Moses, chapter 40 tells us the cloud of God descends upon it. And here, chapter 7 of the book of Numbers tells us that the chiefs of the tribes approach with offerings. 
Now, as you read this, let me challenge you to read chapters 7 through 9 sometime today or this week as you think about what we've said together this morning. And then go ahead and read verses chapters 10 through 12 in preparation for next week. But I want you to think about the fact that them approaching and bringing their offering, this word offering or to offer is used even 35 times just in this chapter. It should tell us what we're emphasizing here. They're bringing offerings to God in this temple where he has filled it with his presence. Presence means holiness. Holiness means blessing and blessing brings celebration and so we're indeed looking at a new section of celebrating the presence of God we've talked about the holiness in the first part of this the wholeness and the holiness that the presence of God brings now we see the people begin to celebrate this presence that God is bringing to them and so this section is going to focus on that celebration done primarily through bringing these offerings to the Lord at the tabernacle and celebrating in chapter 9 the second Passover. First one actually being the actual Passover as God brings them out of Egypt. This is the first memorial. This is the first anniversary of the Passover. And they're going to celebrate and remember what God did a year ago. And so on this first month of the second year, this New Year's Day, here's what happens on this day according to the Word of God. You've been with us through Exodus and Leviticus and Numbers. In Exodus 40, they erect the temple for the very, or this tabernacle for the very first time. In Leviticus chapters 1 through 7, they began the sacrificial offerings on the first day of the first month of the second year. So this New Year's Day, they begin to bring their sacrificial offerings. In chapter 8 of Leviticus, we're told that the priests are consecrated this day. Indeed, in chapter 8 in Numbers, we're going to see that they're set apart here. And Moses is going to say it again, that the the Levites are presented to the Lord. They they become, if you read it, a wave offering before the Lord. And so they're consecrated in Leviticus 8. They're presented to the Lord here in Numbers 8. The tribal leaders bring their offerings, which is where we are. And then the cloud covers the tabernacle. All of this on New Year's Day the second year in the wilderness. The people of God who had seen amazing grace of God in the wilderness, they had seen the power of God to deliver them and bring them to Sinai. They're now ready to worship and celebrate their God. They had seen the blessing of God. They now are ready to worship this great God. As soon as the tabernacle was anointed, focus here turns to the altar Verses 1 and 2, and the utensils that are used to offer sacrifices. And once this is accomplished, I want you to note in verse 1, the tribal leaders approach, they come near with gifts. They came in unity. They bring with them six wagons, and each wagon is carried along by two ox, two oxen, one from each tribe. Six wagons, that's one per two tribes, one ox from each tribe bringing them. I want you to note the gifts were accepted. God says, Moses, accept these gifts from the tribes and then put them into service. And so he does so. Gershon is given two wagons and four oxen. If you remember back in chapters 3, 4, and 5, we found that Gershon was carrying the curtains and the coverings of the tabernacle. So God says, give him two wagons and four oxen that he might be able to carry the curtains. When you set out, they will put them there and they will move. Merari is given four wagons and eight oxen. They carried the structure of the tabernacle. So all the poles, all the joints, everything that goes in the tabernacle to build the structure, Merari and his family will take. And so Moses says, we'll give four of these 
then to Merari. And then you see there in the text that you had read for you, Kohath has given none because they carry the ark and the implements of worship and they're to carry them on their shoulders. They're not to be on an ark if you remember, or on a, on a wagon. If you remember, David doesn't obey this command and it costs uh, the life of one of his men. And so you find out why the oxen and the carts are given. And they're used. Verse 10. Skip down there with me in chapter 7. The chiefs each bring an offering representing their tribes to the dedication of the altar. The chiefs offered offerings for the dedication of the altar on the day it was anointed. And the chief chiefs offered their offering. You get the, you get the sense of reading this. When you read the text, let me challenge you real quickly. Sometimes when you read the Bible, read it out loud. It does more than just put it in your brain. It, it goes through your eyes into your brain when you just read it silently. But when you read it out loud, it goes through your brain, through your eyes, and through your ears. You get some of the rhythm. So you hear that rhythm in verse 10. The chiefs offered offerings for the dedication of the altar on the day it was anointed. And the chiefs offered their offering before the altar. And the Lord said to Moses, they shall offer their offerings. And then he actually says this twice in the Hebrew. One chief, one day, one chief, one day for the dedication of the altar. Your English translation just says it once. But the Lord is saying, what I want you to do is for the next 12 days, I want you to bring. These chiefs are here with their offering. I want the chief of the tribe of Judah, you come in first. And then the chief of this tribe all the way down to Naphtali. All 12 tribes for the next 12 days, we're going to worship the Lord. One chief, one day for 12 days. And we're going to dedicate and celebrate what God has done in this tabernacle. We're celebrating God saying, here is where I will meet with you. Here is where you will worship me. Here's where I will grant atonement, forgiveness, and peace through your offerings, through your worship. And so they're celebrating what God has given them as now here's a time and a place where you can worship the God who created you and the God who delivered you from slavery. And so they do so. In verses 12 through 83, we won't read them, but you'll get the rhythm if you read them. There is a real rhythm here. Each of the leaders is named and the gifts he brings is articulated. Let me just tell you quickly, here's what they bring. Every one of them, they bring the exact same offering. One silver plate that's 130 shekels. It's about a three pound plate. It's full of fine flour and oil, which is a grain offering to the Lord. One silver bowl, which is about 70 shekels. That's about two pounds. It's full of fine flour and oil, which is a grain offering. One gold dish, which is 10 shekels. It's about four ounces and it's full of incense for the Lord. A burnt offering of one young bull, one ram and one lamb. An atonement or sin offering, which is one male goat. And a peace offering. Which is two oxen, five rams, five goats, five lambs, which are one year old. And so he repeats virtually the same text 12 times, which emphasizes for us a couple of things. Why would he say this? Why wouldn't he just say, as a matter of fact, if you go over to verse 84 and following, you're going to get the summary. They all did it one day each. Here's how many they gave. And he gives you the summary of all that they gave. Why did he, why do the scriptures use verses 12 through 83, all of this space? To tell us what they gave. I think he's trying to do a couple of things for us. And we'll make application about this in a moment. I think he's trying to show us the unity of the tribes. And their celebration of and worship of God. Who has set in place this tabernacle. We, each tribe, are affirming the tabernacle. We're bringing a sacrificial, and this indeed was sacrificial, gift to the Lord. 
We're affirming the priesthood that God has set up so that we can come and offer our sacrifices to worship Him. And so their gifts are in celebration of worship of God. In unity, the tribe of Judah, the largest tribe, didn't come and try to bring a, a bigger gift than the tribe of Manasseh or the tribe of Ephraim even, which is the smallest tribe. And all tribes gave the same thing to the Lord. Same sacrifice to say we're in unity here to give to our Lord. Now then he gives the summary in verses 84 through 85. There are 12 silver plates, 12 silver bowls, 12 gold dishes. There are 12 bulls, 12 rams, 12 lambs for a burnt offering. There are 12 male goats for the sin offering. There are 24 oxen, 60 rams, 60 goats, 60 lambs for a peace offering. And then go with me to verse 89. What's the result? Go to verse 89, chapter 7. Here's what happens. 12 days. This is the 12th day. Look at it. Moses went into the tent of meeting to speak with the Lord. He heard the voice speaking to him from above the mercy seat that was on the ark of the testimony from between the two cherubim, and it spoke to him. So if you remember Exodus 40, on the day he erected the temple, the glory of the Lord filled the temple. The smoke, the cloud covered the temple so that Moses could not even enter in. They come to the outer court, offer the offerings 12 days, day one, Day two, day three, day four, all the way to day 12. When the offerings are complete, Moses enters the temple. He goes into the Holy of Holies where the ark is. And he goes, note in verse 89, he went in to speak to the Lord. But what happens is the Lord speaks to Moses. He hears the voice of our God. The result of all of this worship and celebration of God is revelation. God speaks. Now, very quickly, chapters 8 and 9. Won't spend as much time there. Chapter 8 talks to us about the menorah, the lamps, how to set them up, how to set the lights up so that the temple or the tabernacle is set up correctly. And then we have the installation of the Levites. I just want you to notice they're presented before the Lord. Do you remember? This is going to be said again to us. They're presented to the Lord as a wave offering, but they are taken by the Lord in service in the tabernacle instead of the firstborn. So God, firstborn is declared as God's in the nation of Israel. He says, I'm going to take the Levites in substitution for the firstborn. And so He does that and He takes them here and we're reminded about that. And then we're told the Levites are going to serve between their 25th year and their 50th year. Anybody over 50 is not to be able to serve in the temple as a, as a priest. In this service, they'll serve in other services. And anybody under the age of 25 is not allowed to serve as a priest, offering sacrifice in the temple. So here is your career if you're a Levite. You serve the people of God by guarding the temple, by offering sacrifices. And we see that. Then we go to verse chapter 9, and they celebrate the Passover. Look at chapter 9, verse 1. The Lord spoke to Moses in the wilderness in the first month of the second year after they had come out of the land, saying, Let the people of Israel keep the Passover at its appointed time on the fourteenth day of this month at twilight. You shall keep it at its appointed time. It was January, if you think about the first month. It was the first month, the fourteenth day of the beginning of the Hebrew calendar that they celebrated the Passover being brought out of Egypt. Now God says, think with me time-wise here, just putting this in your head, New Year's Day, 
you erect the tabernacle for the first time. Twelve days in a row you come back and worship God. God speaks to Moses on day 12. He says, on day 14, I want you to celebrate. Two days from now, I want you to celebrate the Passover and the fact, remembering the fact that I brought you out of Egypt. So this is the second Passover that is ever celebrated. God commands it and commands them to keep it there. So they celebrate the second Passover. Go down to verse 15 of chapter 9. And let's look at what happens as they celebrate the Passover in the tabernacle. Verse 15, chapter 9. On the day that the tabernacle was set up, the cloud covered the tabernacle, the tent of the testimony, and at evening it was over the tabernacle like the appearance of fire until morning. So it always was. The cloud covered it by day and the appearance of fire by night. Whenever the cloud lifted from over the tent, after that the people of Israel set out. And in the place where the cloud settled down, there the people of Israel camped. And we go through the rest of this chapter just expounding on that. When God brings the cloud up, if it's one night and He brings it up tomorrow, then we set out. If He leaves the cloud for months or years, then we stay here. We're going to follow our God because His presence is with us and it's signified by the cloud that is over the tabernacle. God's presence is in the camp. And they are celebrating His presence with offerings and obedience. Indeed, if you and I could get that, that's the point of this section of Numbers. They're celebrating the presence with offerings and obedience to our great God. There's chapters 9, 7-9 through of Numbers. Let me make three applications and I'll be done. First, as the people in the wilderness celebrate and worship the God who is presence, knowing that His presence demands holiness and brings blessing, we identify with them. And so let me just say to us, celebrate the presence of God by approaching Him with gifts. Celebrate the presence of God by approaching Him with gifts. Let me make this statement to you. What we celebrate, or excuse me, we celebrate what we love and believe in. We celebrate what we love and believe in, and we give to what we celebrate. Let me say that one more time. We celebrate what we love and believe in, and we give to what we celebrate. Church, these are poor folks who came out of slavery in Egypt and while they had uh, uh, plundered in a way the Egyptians, they had made their gold into this uh, uh, idol that God said grind up into dust and make them drink it. So a lot of the riches that they had brought out, God had used His judgment upon them. They don't have much and yet the tribes are coming sacrificially, extravagantly giving to our God. If the numbers of 60 lambs and 60 rams and all of these numbers don't overwhelm you that they bring before our God to say, God, we love you. We celebrate your presence with us. Then you're not listening and not understanding their culture. This was an extravagant gift to someone that they worship, that they're celebrating his presence with them. 
Let me ask you this. What do you celebrate? You can probably reveal to yourself, if you don't know what I celebrate, what I love and believe in, I've heard this said often, I believe it's true. You want to know what you really believe in, look at your checkbook. Now for those of you who don't keep a checkbook anymore, I understand, go on the go online, look at your bank account. Where's your money go? Here, we're saying, this is an example of the people of God celebrating God by approaching Him with gifts. did a little research this week and found from the Bureau of Labor Statistics some statistics for our nation in 2013. Now, this is just America. The average household in America spends $2,625 a year on food that is not consumed in their house. So it's not groceries. It's not stuff we bring to our home. This is us eating out. $2,625 a year we spend on food eating out. Average household, you may be above that, you may be below that. On clothes, we spend an average of $1,604. On transportation, we spend an average, average of $9,004 a year in a family. A significant part of that has been gasoline over the last couple of years, our fuel But on average, $9,000 a year on transportation. And on entertainment, $2,482 a year. You might say, Pastor, we spend a lot more than that. Or, man, we spend a lot less than that. I'm just giving the averages so that you and I could maybe think about what do we give to? I'm almost embarrassed to tell you how much we give to charitable organizations as a nation because it's a lot less than any of those. I hope that we're not the average in here to bring to the Lord our gifts. Let me just tell you today, this is a truth that's true in your life. What you celebrate, which is what you love and believe in, you give to. Are we giving to the Lord and His work so that the work of God will be done? Now guys, let me prove this to you one more time. This Saturday, newsflash, I'm doing this for your benefit, men, is Valentine's Day. And what we love and believe in, we give to. Our culture has set aside a day to show your love to your spouse. How? By giving. By giving to your sweetheart. You're telling your sweetheart, I love you. So as I was thinking about this sermon, I was thinking, why do I give my bride gifts on Valentine's Day? Well, for some of you, if we were to peel back our hearts and ask, why do people give gifts to their sweetheart on Valentine's Day? There would be a hundred of answers. A couple of reasons might be we're trying to buy attention from someone. Don't raise your hand if that's been you in the past. Certainly don't raise your hand if that's you this year. Some people give gifts because we're expected to. It's Valentine's Day and if I don't get something, I'm going to be in the doghouse and so i got to go get something. I'm expected to give. Some people give gifts because of what they might get in return. So I began to ask, what is the right reason to give gifts to your sweetheart? And it is this. I give gifts to my sweetheart as a sign that I'm giving myself to her. And that's the same way we must approach our God. We love and believe in and celebrate the presence of our God. And so we give gifts to Him to celebrate God. I'm giving myself to you. We celebrate by giving. The more elaborate and personal the gift, 
the more that she knows I am hers. Right? Ladies, help me here. The more elaborate and personal, more thought that I've spent on this gift, the more she knows I'm hers. So here's my question before we move on. What can you give God that is extravagant and personal? Well, that which is part of you. That which pleases Him. That which accomplishes His mission. So we come to Him and ask, what would please our God? What could we give to Him to please Him? And so, let me challenge you. What could you give to the Lord that is extravagant and personal? Second application. Celebrate God's presence by coming with great care and in an unhurried manner. I dare say that there may not be any in this room that have come for 12 days in a row to sit in a temple to celebrate what God has done in their life. Now there may be, and you say, well, pastor, I sure have. Praise the Lord for that. But in general, we live in such a hurried society that it is so foreign for us to see a people that would come 12 days in a row, skip one day, and then come back and celebrate a Passover with the Lord. We are hurried in everything that we do. We're hurried. These people are celebrating the presence of their God and in an unhurried manner. The text is drawing this out so that you and I know, day one, here's the chief. Here's what he brought. They worshiped the Lord. Day two, here's the chief of this tribe. They brought this to the Lord. They sacrificed this to the Lord and worshiped the Lord. Day three, and you get this rhythm of their life was about worshiping God and being before the One who delivered them from slavery. Church, it's where Steve started us in Numbers 5. If God is really in the camp, if the Spirit is really in me, it changes everything. Everything else pales in comparison to my allegiance to the One who took me from the pit of hell, from death, and set me in eternal life. It is all His. And I want to worship Him in an unhurried manner. Those people and things that we celebrate most, we're most unhurried with. Aren't we? A couple of years ago, Jenny and I were in Nashville celebrating our wedding anniversary and we went to this really nice restaurant that I don't get to go to very often, but we sat down and, and bought a really nice meal and Jenny knows and can actually taste the steak that she had even that night today. She would tell you about it afterward if you want to know about it. I can't even remember the name of the restaurant, but I remember us sitting there and Jenny saying something like, stop eating so fast, I want to enjoy every bite of this meal. And so I had to slow down so we could savor. Why? Because those things that we love and celebrate, we do so in an unhurried manner. Now guys, let me give you an example that would be my example. When I am there before a dozen hot now Krispy Kremes, I eat four of them and I am upset that my body will hold no more because I want to keep eating them until because I love that taste. I want to be unhurried in it. And the only thing that keeps me from eating all of them is the unpleasant thought of what happens when I eat too many of them and get sick. 
But I want to be unhurried at that. And my unhurried is, eat as many as I can. What we celebrate most, we're most unhurried with. After a great victory on the sports field, no one on the winning team is rushing to get off the field and move on. Why? We want to bask in the wonder of the moment, in the joy and celebration of victory. It's the same when people come to meet with our great God. So let me ask you, have you considered today as we gather here as the people of God, have you considered the victory that He won for you? Have you considered the price that was paid for your redemption? Have you considered today the suffering that He endured? The wonder of His love? The power of the resurrection? It would make you just be unhurried here. You wouldn't wonder, when's the next song going to be over? When's the preacher going to be quiet? You would just want to be here with the people of God, in the presence of God, to worship and enjoy His presence here. And yet there are many, they're still just wishing the preacher be quiet and let us go home. Let me get to the rest of my weekend. Our meetings are about being with the Almighty God who created us and saw us in our rebellion and sin and makes a way to recreate us so that we can live in communion with Him. Come and celebrate that by coming and being here unhurried. Not thinking about what you've got to do, but thinking about God and honoring, blessing, singing, opening your ears to hear from Him. And that takes me to the last thing. Celebrate the presence of God by expecting to hear from Him. In Exodus chapter 25, speaking about the mercy seat, when God was describing how to set up the Ark of the Covenant, He says, there at the mercy seat, there I will meet with you from above the mercy seat, from between the two cherubim that are on the Ark of the Testimony. I will speak with you about all that I will give you in commandment for the people of Israel. So God in Exodus 25 speaks to Moses and said, I am going to speak to you from between the cherubim, above the mercy seat, you will hear my voice. Lo and behold, day 12, the cloud has covered the tabernacle. Moses comes into the ark for the first time into the Holy of Holies. He can walk in and what happens? He hears the voice of God. The Bible says he goes in to speak to God, but God keeps His promise and He speaks to him. Let me ask you this question, friend. Did you come into this place today expecting to hear from Jesus? Did you come here anticipating meeting with your God? Not only singing, praying, praising, but hearing the Spirit of God. Hebrews says this long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke with our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, that's our days, in these last days, He has spoken to us by His Son, whom He appointed the heir of all things, through whom He also created the world. He, Jesus, is the radiance of the glory of God, the exact imprint of His nature, and He upholds the universe by the word of His power. Have you come into this place expecting to meet with God? If not, why did you come? God deserves an answer. You deserve an answer to that. Celebrate the presence of God with me by expecting to hear from Him. 
by coming with great care and unhurried pace by approaching Him with gifts for Him. Let's worship our God together.